For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and it's a gas. No, not being me, though. Sometimes it is. I mean methane. And apparently that stuff is coming for us, because there's a bunch of frozen methane hydrate under the sea, in the Arctic, and elsewhere, and of course, quote, Arctic methane deposits starting to release, scientists say, end quote. Now, the idea here is that if they do melt, we're going to get that long-promised greenhouse effect, not just because methane's meant to be 80 times as potent a greenhouse gas as CO2, and there's a lot of it down there, but because this whole business about tipping points of no return and so on depends on the notion that various warming processes amplify one another. That's why the disaster is a runaway disaster. But there's a very basic logical problem here, especially to the historian who looks at climate change. And it's not to do with the ingenuity of specific predictions of how the whole thing will finally go up in flames. It's that if it was in principle a tinderbox just waiting for a spark to catch fire disastrously, why hasn't it done so in the past? We know that the Arctic was warmer than it is today for thousands of years even within the current interglacial, to say nothing of the last one. And then there's the whole business of it having been a whole lot warmer before the Pleistocene Ice Age started two and a half million years ago. So why didn't all that warmth release the methane and thus lock in the high temperatures forever? You know, there hadn't been an ice age for over a quarter of a billion years before the Pleistocene, so it was jolly warm and greenhouse gassy, yet somehow it didn't create runaway warming. It allowed a slow and then a sudden cooling. Two professors amplifying the warming in The Guardian said, quote, Methane entrapped in their icy jail cells of hydrates underground ought to stay there for millions of years, accumulating over the eons." End quote. But why ought it to do so? If it's released when it's warm, why didn't it get out of jail free 3 million years ago, or 30 million? And if all that warmth didn't let it out and create, you know, a greenhouse effect, why would it do so now? It's astounding the extent to which, as geologist Ian Plymer once put it, the one thing that we miss out in looking at climate change is the past. And speaking of the past, there was also a, quote, deforestation could spark new diseases, experts say story, about how the Amazon rainforest is just this reservoir of one hideous, virulent virus, bacteria, or fungus after another, just waiting to leap on us and punish us for our environmental sins. Ooh, rainforests. And of course, quote, climate change, which is driving temperature and rainfall changes, adds to the risks, end quote. But why? I mean, in the first place, why wouldn't temperature and rainfall changes sometimes take down some revolting fungus or virus as well as a polar bear or a coral? But also, is it really true historically that humans have acquired major new diseases from animal hosts because we went out and cut down a tree? Or is it because we engaged in systematic agriculture and spent a lot of quality time sloshing about in wet dung with cuts on our feet? I mean, COVID-19, did it come from the depths of the jungle or from a crowded city? Still, the key point is, all effects of climate change are bad, and all bad things are due to climate change, so stand by for, quote, 220 different types of viruses in the Amazon, end quote, from encephalitis to West Nile yellow fever, end quote, a Brazilian hemorrhagic fever, rodent-carrying hantaviruses, and a mosquito-transmitted arborovirus called Oropuche, along with malaria, leishmaniasis, and Chagas disease. You know, none of this is to say trashing ecosystems is fine, but it means we need to use our heads about environmental problems including on this vexed question of peer review. We're always told, you know, it's the silver bullet, oh, if it's not peer reviewed, it's junk. So what about this recent paper by two Norwegian scientists who warned in Naturecom's peer-reviewed science reports that we tipped over so many tipping points that we were actually falling, quote, irrespective of how fast humanity cuts the emissions of man-made greenhouse gas emissions. 
So that was all good, clean, panicky fun, until some other alarmists got alarmed by the fact that if you tell people emissions reductions won't do any good, they might not support emissions reductions anymore. So then suddenly the paper was withdrawn and peer review be hanged. You know, as always, there's lots more in the newsletter, including some very good news from our friends William Van Weingarten and Will Happer, who say it could well be that greenhouse gases are now saturated in the atmosphere, in the sense that they're already absorbing essentially all the heat they possibly can, so it will make almost literally no difference if more accumulate. What a relief, you might think, especially to the alarmists. I mean, it's not as though they're addicted to gloom and rage, is it? In the newsletter, we also tip our hats to an alert viewer who said, you know, all that hoo-ha about the record temperature in Death Valley, California, highest in a hundred years, proof of climate change and so on, was actually somewhat disingenuous because the actual Death Valley record high, which is 134 degrees Fahrenheit, was set on July 10th back in 1913, just over a century ago. And according to the same NOAA paper that contained that information, and NOAA is no denier outfit, if you look for the hottest recorded temperatures by month for the whole United States, you don't find them concentrated in the so-called hottest years on record in the last two decades. They're in 1997, 1902, 1954, 1898, and so on. We also talk about a National Post story about real pollution in India, the choking smog we need to fix, not the carbon pollution that makes plants grow. And indeed, from our collaboration with CO2Science.org, another piece saying, yep, more CO2 really is greening the earth. It actually makes plants grow and not die. And then another interesting one saying, most temperature reconstructions using tree rings are based on warmer months. But when researchers tried to do the same for colder months to check the model's prediction that there's going to be more warming in winter and at high altitudes, it turns out that in China's greater Qinggan Mountains, where they did a reconstruction of about a quarter of a millennium, they found variability, yes. But they didn't find recent warming, they found a cooling since the late 19th century. So, if you want more of that kind of information on climate, instead of the usual yelling and insults, keep watching our videos, subscribe on YouTube and to the newsletter if you haven't already, and remember please to support us in our work. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson.